Okay, we begin a new series starting today that we've entitled uh, Rediscovering Thankfulness. Rediscovering Thankfulness. And you ask, well, why that? Because several weeks from now, you will be gorging yourself on the best turkey a fryer can produce because we call it Thanksgiving. And for those who seek Christ, Thanksgiving is deeper than a meal. It's, it's more about our Savior. So we want to commit as a church for the next three weeks to say, Lord, prepare our hearts to be thankful, not for what we have, but for who you are. So today the sermon is entitled Rediscovering Thankfulness, the Art of a Thankful Heart. The Art of a Thankful Heart. Uh, before we begin and we look at scriptures together, you know, dialing a wrong number can sometimes be embarrassing. Anyone ever dial a wrong number? Um, I just, you know, I'm always on the phone, so I just assume I'm going to dial the wrong number and put my foot in my mouth anyway. Um, but a heartwarming story comes from last year's election cycle. No, not the election itself, but during the time of the election, there was a grandmother that had called her grandson to come to Thanksgiving. Her name was Wanda. And Wanda did not know because her grandson had not told her that he had changed his number. So Wanda calls and invites her grandson to church and a young man named Jamal answers the phone. Now Jamal is 17. And after they exchange some pleasantries and she, he says very quickly, look, I'm not your grandson. Um, you don't know me. But he asked this question because our, our youth are often very bold in their request. Right, you ask not, you have not. And so he asked Miss Wanda, he said, can I still come to Thanksgiving? I'm not your family, but hey, why not? And you know what she says? As any grandmother says, come on, we have a plate for you. And he ends up going to Thanksgiving. And this is what Jamal said. He said, I am thankful for all the nice people in the world said, I never met her and she welcomed me into her house. So that shows me how great of a person she is. I pray that even for those that don't know us, that we would be welcoming, that we would have a heart that's overflowing with thankfulness. I believe that if we rediscover thankfulness in Jesus Christ, that we will have a heart like this woman, Miss Wanda, that when we dial the wrong number and the aggravation I cannot believe that grandson did not tell me. Instead, she said, you know what? Come on, honey, why don't you come to dinner also? I, I can see my grandmother doing that because she had a heart flowing with grace and mercy. I pray that we will rediscover this heart as a church today. With that, I, I encourage you to join me in this fourth gospel, the book of John. Chapter 12, if you have your Bibles with you, if not, take your friend's phone, turn to John on their phone. John 12, one through eight. The beauty of technology today is this. We all have our Bibles at every moment. I love that. And we like to decry the evils of technology, but God is using that for his glory, for his plan and his purposes. John chapter 12, verse one through eight today. Lord, help us rediscover a heart of thankfulness. Verse one, John 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, the one Jesus had raised from the dead. So wh where was Lazarus prior? Dead, okay, excellent. Verse two, so they gave a dinner for him there. 
Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. Where had Lazarus been prior? Dead. It should not strike us as odd, or should strike us as odd that there's a dead man reclining at the table with Jesus Christ. Church, that is only the power of the resurrection. Verse three, Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair. So the whole house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him said, why was not this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and he would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Where was Lazarus prior to this? Dead. What is this anointed oil now used for? Burial. Verse eight, for you will always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we can know nothing of your truth apart from your spirit. So Lord, help us rely on your spirit to open our minds and our hearts to the glorious good news that dead people can now eat at your table. Lord, give us a heart of thanksgiving, knowing that we will not be thankful until our hearts are changed. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Uh, a couple preliminary issues in the scripture before we look at really the charge of our task today. The first is this, before we examine our hearts, it is crucial to understand the context of any passage of scripture. Now, I've already hinted at what the context is, but the chronology of John 12 smells of the stench of death. Now, I'm using the word smells intentionally because there is a theme of smell here. So what has happened in John 11? If you have your Bibles, if you have your physical Bible, it's easier than your phone, but scroll up or look to the left. What has happened in John 11 that is odd? Well, Lazarus has died. Now that's not in itself strange, but he came back to life. Uh, the King James here nails it. There's oftentimes the King James language is antiquated and difficult, but the King James says this about Lazarus. He stinketh, right? He, so he's in the grave long enough that he stinketh. Some of you husbands have heard that from your wife before. But this is not the Lazarus we encounter in chapter 12. We encounter a man that is now eating and reclining at the table with Jesus Christ. But the death markers do not end there at Lazarus. Where do they also continue? Look at verse one, six days before the Passover. What is happening at the Passover? You go back to Exodus 12, and I encourage you to go back and look at uh, Exodus. But for God to save his people, that for the angel of death to pass over God's people, something had to die. And the something was a spotless, perfect lamb. And God's people were tasked to slaughter the lamb and put the blood on the doorframe. So the fact that John would cement this narrative within the Passover should make us think of death. So we have a dead guy eating and we have a dead lamb. But there's more. 
Look at what the anointing does in verse seven. Jesus answered to Judas and the disciples, leave her alone for Mary, she has kept this perfume for the day of my burial. So there are three vivid markers that remind us of death before this passage, death during this passage, and the Passover, which is going to be in six days, is a time that Jesus Christ is going to die. So do you see what John is doing? Death is in the future, death is in the past, and death is in the present. Why is that important for us? Because God's word is reminding us that thankfulness is not defined by your health or your hurts. It's defined by the healer, Jesus Christ. You say, well, I feel like I'm about to die. I'm struggling. Yes, call Lazarus up. He had died and Christ had redeemed him. So if you are struggling here today and you say, Josh, the last thing I wanna do is be thankful for anything. Thankfulness does not depend on our circumstances. Thankfulness depends on our savior. It depends on our savior. In the midst of death and pain and suffering, the grace of Christ brings thankfulness. Secondly, our second preliminary thought before we look at the text further. Not only is death surrounded this narrative, but I want you to know that Mary does not do this because she is loved more than the others. We assume, well, Mary lavished the perfume on Jesus because she was loved more. If you, if you look at paintings or history, there's an insinuation that Mary was loved more than any other woman. Well, let's look at scripture together. God's word is always our truth, not our perception of truth. Verse one, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, okay? the one Jesus has raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Who else was there? Martha was serving them and Lazarus was reclining there, okay, with him. So we have Jesus, we have Lazarus, and we have Martha. Who is not yet identified in this scripture? Mary, if you go back and read chapter 11, when Lazarus has died, Jesus goes there because it says that he loved Martha. So I don't want you to think, well, Mary is gonna do this extreme act of obedience and thankfulness because she was loved by Jesus more than anyone else. That is not what scripture teaches. This is the gospel. The gospel is that we are all loved equally in Jesus Christ. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. The thief that confessed Christ as Lord on the cross was loved as much as the thief that denied Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus died for both of them. And here's the hope that we have in the good news today. I am loved as equally as much as you are loved. That gives me hope because some of you are more lovable than I am. And before you puff out your chest, I'm more lovable than some of you. Right? But Jesus says it's not because we're lovable. It's because we are sinners fallen from grace that he died for us. That's the gospel, that none of us are worthy and yet we are all loved by our Savior equally through the death of the Passover lamb. And because of that, we can now have grace-filled hearts. 
So how do we have this grace-filled heart? Look at verse three. The first, the first truth I wanna give you is this. A thankful heart is a heart that knows the price has been paid. A thankful heart is a heart that knows the price has been paid. Verse three, Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. You see, the guests that were reclining at this table were no ordinary guests. We've already said it over and over again. Who is at the table? Lazarus. Does that not strike anyone else as odd? He was dead. So this is the greatest. Can you imagine throwing a birthday party for a dead guy that's now back to life? If I'm Lazarus, I'm thinking this is gonna be the greatest birthday party I've ever had. And I'm gonna sit by Lazarus and say, Lazarus, what did you see for four days? I have to know. I have to know. And he's gonna probably say it doesn't even compare to the glory that you see right now. God's redemption is so wonderful. This is a celebration of God's goodness for Lazarus. Lazarus understands the price has been paid. Lazarus understands the power of the resurrection. And parties in the ancient world in Palestine would start about mid-afternoon and last till midnight. This is not an hour affair. So in this, the guests are now reclining and you recline at a table with your face towards the table and your feet back behind you. So this makes it easy for Mary to anoint his feet. Lazarus understood the power of the gospel and the resurrection. And Mary understood the price. So literally, she busts out the expensive perfume and anoints his feet. Now, let me say this about the perfume. This is not your grandfather's cologne. This is not aqua velva. This is not Old Spice or Brut or Stetson, right? And I still go into the grocery store sometimes and I smell my grandfather's perfume, my cologne. And I'm like, I remember, like it brings me back 30 years ago. This is not your grocery store cologne. This, this is not some of our youth that think they smell really good and it's overpowering, right? This is not that cologne. This is an expensive perfume. Uh, one pound in the Roman time equals about 12 ounces now. Um, but it was so expensive because it was imported from India. It comes from the nard plant. The spike nard would be the hair fibers of this plant. It was so expensive that one denarii, so Judah says it's a denarii, 300. So one denarii is one day's labor. This is about a year's worth of wage. Now let me put that into St. Clair perspective. If this were today's wages in St. Clair County, the average median wage, this cologne would have been $45,880. I don't know about you, but I don't have anything like that in my closet. $45,000 of cologne. You say, well, we don't have that today. Yes, we do. Listen to this. You can go buy for $13,000, uh, Clive Christian Number no. 1. It's a fragrance that smells like luxury. Okay, listen to this. No cost was spared in the creation of this fragrance. Hey, guys, ladies, you wanna get your guy? Throw on some Clive Christian Number no. 1. Here we go. The scent... I don't even know what some of these words are. The scent has top notes of bergamot, lime, Sicilian mandarin nutmeg, 
cardamom and thyme. The heart notes are more of a heliotrope. Lang Lang. I don't know what that is. Jasmine, rose, and the lily of the valley. No, there's more. While the bass notes smell of sandalwood, cedarwood, amberwood, vanilla, and vetiver. The bottle is handmade from lead crystal, while the neck is 24 karat gold plated sterling silver set with a solitaire. And it's yours for the cool price of $13,000. If you have Clive Christian number one hanging out in your drawer, imagine Mary taking three of those and pouring it on the feet of Jesus Christ. Why would she do this? What did Mary know? that Judas did not. Judas, look, Judas is us. Before we point, Judas is the one saying, that's $45,000 gone. That's what I'm gonna say. I'm not gonna say how beautiful the smell of the amber rose, the long, long. I'm gonna say, Mary, what are you doing? And what does Mary know that Judas does not? Mary understood the price that Jesus was going to pay. And Mary understood that when the price is paid, nothing else in her world mattered. It was unheard of that Mary would even have this in her possession. This was more than likely her entire inheritance poured down the drain for Judas. But Mary would say it's not poured down the drain, it's poured on the feet of Christ. See, Mary knew that her redemption was paid. Her redemption was paid. Mary would tell us, do not worry about your cost when you understand his cost. And how, boy, how we play these games. Lord, I can't serve you right now. You don't understand what I have to do. And Mary would say, you don't understand what he did. Lord, I can't give to you right now because I have all these costs and bills. Lord, you don't know what what it's going to cost me. And Mary said, you don't understand what it has cost him. The price has been paid. And a thankful heart knows that the price has been paid. Church, do you have a thankful heart that understands the price of the perfume poured on the feet of Christ? Not only does a thankful heart understand the price, but a thankful heart leads to a humble posture. A thankful heart leads to a humble posture. Look how Mary anointed Jesus Christ. Verse three, Mary took a pound of perfume $45,000 worth of perfume and expensive nard. And she anointed Jesus' feet. She anointed his feet, wiped his feet with her hair so that the house was filled with the fragrance of her perfume. Not only was the, the anointing of Jesus steep, but it was submissive. Not only was it steep, but it was submissive. Now, what does God's word remind us about submissiveness and humble posture to Jesus Christ. Well, first, the timing was inconvenient. This is not Mary's dinner. This is for Lazarus. And we don't know, but what was Mary saving the perfume for? Someone's death. Might it be that Mary was gonna use that for Lazarus, but she didn't have to use it for Lazarus because he's no longer dead. So Mary's saying, well, I need to anoint someone. 
humbleness often is inconvenience. Often inconvenience. Not only that, but Mary does not anoint the head, which was typical convention, but look what she anoints. She anoints his feet. You know who dealt with feet in the ancient world? Slaves and servants. And by Mary dumping the perfume on the feet, she is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I am your servant. Lord, I don't want the head, just give me the feet. And it doesn't end there. Look what she does with the anointed oil. She wipes it off. Typical convention is you do not wipe off the anointing. You pour it on the head and you leave it as a sign of royalty and majesty. Not only does she wipe it off, but what does she wipe it off with? Her hair. Now this is odd because in the ancient world to let down your hair, especially for a married woman, I know Mary was not married, but for a married woman to let down your hair was a sign of loose morals. So Mary is breaking every convention in the world. She's pouring out expensive perfume on the feet of Christ as submission at an inconvenient time wiping it with her hair and the disciples are saying, who is this woman? Look at her morals. And Jesus says this, leave her alone because she is humble and she is needy. You see, God's word reminds us of this, that the hair is the crown of glory in 1 Corinthians 11. You see, Mary recognized that she was unworthy to be considered equal with Christ. Mary recognized that she was unworthy. She said, don't give me the head, give me the feet. Let me wipe it off. See, I think sometimes our problem is that we think we're worthy. Um, Here's what scripture says, you're not. You're not even close. You're not in the same category. If Mary is in the room anointing the feet, we don't deserve to be in the same town. We don't deserve to be close enough to smell the cologne. That is our worthiness. Are we worthy? No, but Christ has paid the price of our redemption and he makes us worthy. You and I are not worthy in ourselves. Mary understood this. Mary knew that thankfulness leads us to humble posture. What did Judas not understand? Judas was religious, but self-seeking. And I think Judas is a reminder to all of us who are in church. That is all of us, by the way. Judas said this. Verse four, Judas said, why wasn't the perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Uh, Should we love the poor? Yes. Did Jesus want us to take care of the widows and the orphans and the needy? Yes. Was Jesus giving us an alibi? No. But Jesus is reminding us sometimes we have programs and procedures and we feel like we're helping the poor and we're not. We're self-seeking and self-serving. That's a scary thought. It's a scary thought, church, because we are also Judas. I'm reminded that Sometimes social concerns often mask a heart that is not grateful, but self-seeking. A heart that is socially active, even though we meet real needs, we're masking a heart that knows nothing of worship and devotion. 
We say, well, Lord, I'm not gonna give here because I care about the poor. And the reality is we're just stealing from Christ. We don't care about the poor. We wanna be religious and look moral, look socially active, but we are spiritually bankrupt. And Mary is screaming to us, humble yourself. You're not worthy to be in the room. And yet he died for you. He loves you. This is the heart of thankfulness. Richard Baxter said it this way. It is a contradiction to be a true Christian and not humble. You see, a heart overflowing with thankfulness is not look at me. It is look at him. It is not look at me. It is look at him. Do you have a heart that understands the price has already been paid? Do you have a heart that understands that grace always leads to humbleness in your life? Well, so of course I believe that, Pastor, I'm here. I'm thankful, I'm grace-filled. Well, what does that look like? Jonathan Edwards in the 1700s gives us a beautiful glimpse of natural, what he calls natural gratitude and gracious gratitude. Now, we're about to get really uncomfortable, but that's okay. I pray the Holy Spirit will guide our hearts and minds into living for the truth of Jesus Christ. Jonathan Edwards says this, natural gratitude is thankfulness for things received. Now watch, when you are at Thanksgiving around the table with your family or your friends, we are gonna thank God for things we have received. Lord, thank you for the turkey. Thank you for family. God, thank you for our homes and our cars and our electricity and stuffing. And thank you for uh, sweet potato casserole, not with marshmallows. That's nasty. Uh, the kind with the brown sugar and the pecans, okay? Right, Satan and his demons can eat the marshmallows. Give me the angelic stuff. And as I begin to meditate on this truth, I begin to look at my life and most often the things that we are thankful for are the things that we have received. And it's okay to be thankful for those, but even the pagan is thankful for the things that are received. The rain falls on the godly and the ungodly alike. Church, we are called to be different. Different. Push past the turkey. Push past the family. Get into the heart of the matter. There is natural gratitude and then there is this. Edward says, gratitude is one of the natural affections of the soul of man as well as anger. For, and there is gratitude that arises from self-love very much in the same way that anger does. May we not stop at self-loving, but may we be savior-loving. You see, gracious gratitude, how we cultivate a heart of gratitude is this. Lord, not thank you for what I have been given, but thank you for who you are. Think of the way we're called to pray. Jesus, teach us how to pray. Our Father, who gives us a lot of stuff. No, 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 no. What does Jesus teach us? Our Father, who is in heaven. Lord, glory, holy be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We haven't even gotten to the daily bread. What is Jesus teaching us? 
A heart of gratitude and grace is not a heart of self-love. It's a heart of the Savior. Do you have gracious gratitude? And I encourage you, in a couple weeks when you begin to dine on the beauty that we call Thanksgiving, when we go around the table and we say, what have you, what are you thankful for? That we begin not with, thank you, God, for giving me, but we say, God, thank you for the price of redemption found in Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for the price. It is so much that if, if, I, if you call me to dump out everything I have at your feet, Lord, that doesn't even compare to the grace that you have been stowed on me, my Savior. This is the heart of gratitude, a heart overflowing with his grace. And here's the beauty. A heart filled with gratitude leads to a home filled with what? Look at the beauty of of scripture. Look at verse three. A heart filled with gratitude of God's grace leads to a home filled with what? The house was filled with the, the odor or the fragrance of the perfume. Someone once said it this way. God's word suggests that the fragrance of the act will extend far beyond the event itself. We are still talking today about the fragrance of this act of sacrifice that Mary gave to Jesus. And Mary would say, don't look at me. I understood the price has been paid and this perfume was nothing compared to my savior. I understood the price that was paid. And you know what? I couldn't even bring myself to anoint his feet. I just wanted his, his head. I just wanted his feet. And I wanted to wipe it off with my hair. And the Bible says that this act of sacrifice filled the home with thankfulness. So I ask you today, is your house filled with the fragrance of a grace-filled heart? a heart that understands that the price was paid for your redemption. Not by you, because we cannot pay anything, but by Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. God did not love Mary more than us. Mary understood that she was a sinner fallen from God's mercy. And God said, you can't fall far enough away from my mercy. But I will send you a redeemer and his name is Jesus. And Mary would tell us today, there is nothing too expensive in your life to hold back from God. So pastor, you don't understand how much I have. I don't. But even if you own the cattle on a thousand hills, what will it gain you if you win the whole world and lose your soul? If you gain the whole world, if you store up Clive Christian number one, He said, I'm gonna pass this on to my family. I'm gonna leave a legacy of riches and they will be set up for life. And you die and you go to hell with an eternity away from Jesus Christ. The price has been paid. And a humble heart leads to humble submission to the king of kings. So is your grace meter full or empty today? Is your grace meter full or God's word clearly shows us that devotion cannot be measured in terms of pounds and pence, although some people think it can. 
God's grace is measured in this. In 1 Corinthians 6, you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God. You have a price and his name is Jesus. And he took your place on the cross and he died for you, suffered and beaten for your sake. But it doesn't end there. He, he was buried and three days later, he rose again. That is the power of the gospel. And not only was he raised to new life, he also ascended into heaven. And right now he is seated on the right hand of God. And he offers us redemption and forgiveness in this moment if we believe. So that our homes would be filled with the aroma of our Savior. This is the beauty of a grace-filled heart. Alistair Begg says this. I, I love this quote. We're going to finish here. He said, thankfulness is a song that will never be sung in hell. Thankfulness is a song that will never be sung in hell. And as you look at your life and as I evaluate my heart this morning, if you're not singing a song of thankfulness, that says a lot about your heart. And today God is offering you another way. God is offering you to leave these doors here differently than you came in. So do you want new life this morning? Do you want forgiveness and hope that is found in Jesus Christ? Do you want gratitude and thankfulness that is not dependent on your circumstances, but it is dependent on a savior that defeated death, conquered our sin and lets us live in freedom? If this is the Jesus that you want today, you can begin with a prayer of faith that sounds something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner, but you have paid the price. And I repent and I turn from myself and I give you complete control. And Lord, you tell me that if I deny you in front of men, you will deny me in front of your father. So Lord, I proclaim that you are God and you are good this morning. And the promise of scripture is that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, church, will be saved for the glory of our Father forever and ever. Let's pray.